Um, I'll let you know a little secret. When we first talked about having a, a mission focus month, um, I'll be honest, at first I was a little bit worried because you think, oh, why would you be worried? Like, why would you be worried about, you know, having a, a missions month? Well, I can tell you why. Firstly, there's a lot of confusion um, or concerned about this word missionary. What is a missionary? If you've ever studied this, you don't have to study too long before you see there is some confusion with the word missionary and mission. One of the big questions is, who are missionaries? Some say everyone is a missionary, while others say no, not everyone is a missionary. We even discussed this very topic Thursday night at Men's Bible Study. Why is there confusion? Surely it should just be an easy thing to answer. Well, it's confusion because the word missionary is not in our Bibles at all. It's one of those add-on words. The term missionary is one of those extra biblical terms that have been coined to help label biblical concepts. We get our word missionary and missions from a Latin word, missio, which simply means sending. The Greek equivalent is apostio, which comes from the Greek word apostle. So some scholars will say it's hard to determine from Scripture what a missionary is because the word's not there. We just have to make it up. While others say no, because the word of um, the linkage with the calling out an apostle, we can easily know who a missionary is. From a biblical perspective, a missionary is someone who is set out, set apart, called out, chosen by God to be an apostle. That's why some say from that clear definition, not everyone can be a missionary because not all are sent out for that special cause. While others will say, hang on. It doesn't the Bible say that every Christian is called by God and set apart to proclaim the gospel? So they are missionaries. Those who hold to the strict view, they will say, hang on, we're all told to care for each other, but no one ever says everyone is a pastor. We're all taught to teach, but no one says everyone is a teacher. We're all taught to share, but no one ever says everyone is an evangelist. So while Christians are set apart, surely the same rule should apply. We shouldn't be all called missionaries. Then we also have confusion over what's the role of a missionary. If we can't define what a missionary is, then we really struggle to get a role. Do you know, when you hear someone is a missionary, we tend to think it is talking about someone that's going to a mission field probably far away. But we know what their job is. We think their job is to go and win as many converts for Jesus as possible. That's the role of a missionary. But again, this is not necessarily what the Bible teaches. Obviously, when you look at Bible and sending people out, Paul is used as one of the great examples. That's why scholars are quick to point out, if you want to know what true missionary work is, then Paul's comment in Romans 5 help us understand it. Paul's Romans in, in 15 is this. From Jerusalem and all the round to Alicrium, I have fulfilled the mission and ministry of the gospel of Christ. Sounds great, doesn't it? But hang on, how can he say that? How has he fulfilled the ministry of the gospel? I mean, at the time he wrote this, there are still millions of lost people throughout the Roman world. So how can he say, ha mission accomplished? I mean, to be honest, all he's really done is spent some time in different places and build churches. Well, this is what we're taught. 
it is not necessarily the missionary's aim to see every single individual one to faith. Rather, from a biblical perspective or a biblical standpoint, a missionary, a called out one, is someone who serves in a place or culture to build a healthy church, a church that has converts capable of evangelising to the rest of their people. They do that and then they go. I guess you understand we see this example in Scripture. Paul established churches as foundations to ensure the gospel would spread. With a healthy church and qualified leaders, once that church was planted, Paul's work was done. You bored yet? Now, I know you may say, Garth, this is really technical and theological. Who cares? I mean, why am I focusing on this? Does it really matter? Well, in a way, I can't help but think, yes, it does, especially when we're having a whole month and focus on mission or missionaries. If you look at Packy Life today, you would see my sermon title is this. What is the impact of mission? Well, then it's obvious. The impact of mission is get called out and go and plant churches. You see, if this strict theological view is true, if being missionary or doing missions is all tied up with being called out, set apart, to leave home, to go to a new culture and set up new churches, then we have a great problem. What problem? For 99% of people sitting in our congregation today to this morning or to listening online, this doesn't apply to you. In my short time here, I've never had any one of you come up to me and say, I believe this is God's call for my life to leave, to go to some other place and to start up some new church. I mean, if this is true, if getting called out and planting churches is the impact of mission, then you would be 100% correct to sit there and think, well, I will never be able to impact a mission. So I guess I can just sit here and switch off, right? Wrong. Even though I don't personally believe that everyone should be given the title missionary, I tend to agree with the school of thought that follows God doesn't call everyone to leave to go and start up this kind of work. So in the strict sense of the meaning, I do believe the title of missionary is held for some special people with a special calling and a special gifting. However, you will also know that even though we're only into week two, one point I hope that keeps coming across strongly in not only sermons but in the things we're doing is this. We may, we may not all be missionaries, but we all have a mission field. I don't know about you, but I love hearing stories from those special called out missionaries and the work they do. I really enjoy listening to the different people who come and share their stories. And the good news is we've still got more to come. What I find interesting, though, is this. All of them have spoken on a certain honour or privilege that they've had in serving in their field. An honour and privilege that I believe is truly the greatest impact of missions that we can see. And the surprising thing is this, it has nothing to do with going overseas and planting churches. It's an impact or privilege that is just, and it's not just for the special called out ministries. What do I see as the greatest impact of mission? Well, let me introduce it to you with a story from a guy I met many years ago, an Aboriginal pastor from Eden. His name was Pastor Ozzie Cruz. When I worked for MMM, we used to take mission trips to him. 
I always remember, he always used to say to myself and the group that I took, I love when you guys come and visit because something special happens. What is the special thing that happens? Life touches life. When we all come together as God's family, we can touch, share and encourage one another on a level that is far beyond ourselves. Why? Because we share Christ, he says. We have had his life touch, we have had his life touch our life and now we can touch each other's lives. Well, in a way, I'm stealing his motto for my sermon today. Because if you ask me, what is the greatest impact of mission? I think Pastor Cruz got it right. The greatest impact of mission is relationship. Relationships impacting relationships. You know, for us as Christians, we've all in the privileged position. We all know what it is to have a relationship with someone who has made an impact on our life and that someone is Jesus. I just said I love hearing the testimonies from people because it encourages me, it inspires me to hear what God is doing in their life. Well, today I want to encourage us by looking at three people from Scripture who encountered this relationships, impact relationships firsthand with Jesus. My hope in doing this, in looking at their experience and their impact and with the relationship they had with Jesus, encourages us to go out and do the same to go out and impact relationships with what we have received. I forgot what I meant to say, Mark, but if you're watching online, I hope this doesn't crash because I've gone back to the Visual Bible again. I'm going to show you three clips today from the Visual Bible, and this is the first one. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for accepting my invitation. We've been waiting for you. I thank you for your invitation, Simon. I can't. I don't deserve his love. It's not true. Jesus accepts everyone. Let him into your heart. Come, Master.
Rabbi, they're wondering how you can be a prophet. I mean, not to know what kind of woman she is. I know what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. Simon, I have something to say to you. You see this woman. I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed them with her tears, and wiped them with her hair. You did not greet me with a kiss, but yet, she hasn't stopped kissing me. You did not anoint my head with oil, but yet, she has anointed my feet. So I say to you, her sins are forgiven as her love deserves. Your faith has saved you. You are forgiven, for you have loved so much. Here we have one of those situations in Jesus' life that wasn't planned. Jesus was at Simon's house for a meal, and it was customary in that day for outsiders to hover around outside of the houses during meals. That way outsiders could watch important people and hear their conversations. Since everything was open, outsiders could sometimes even enter the house to speak to a guest. However, in that day, women could not do that. Women were not meant to enter into the banquets. In fact, Jewish rabbi used to say that you speak and eat with women in public is a wasted space. However, we know what happened here. This woman comes along and she's a sinner. Her sins are not named, but we get the impression she was a woman of the streets, perhaps someone with a bad reputation. So a woman of this type would definitely not be welcomed to the house of Simon the Pharisee. Once this woman entered the room, Simon was embarrassed both for himself and his guests. People had been saying that Jesus was a great prophet, yet in everyone's eyes in that room at that point, he allowed this sinful woman like this to anoint his feet, prove that he wasn't a great prophet. He certainly wasn't showing the true discernment of a great prophet. Everyone's conclusion, Jesus is nothing but a fraud. Well, much to Simon's surprise, Jesus proved to him that he was indeed a prophet by reading Simon's thoughts and revealing his needs. Forgiveness is a gift of God's grace, and this woman at Jesus' feet needed the impact of forgiveness in her life more than ever. The woman admitted that she was a sinner. I believe she knew 100% that Jesus could fulfil and pay the debt. So she goes and throws himself, herself at his feet. While at the feet of Jesus, this woman gave evidence that she was a sinner. 
but she gave a greater evidence that she was a repentant sinner. Her tears, her humble attitude and her expensive gift all spoke of a changed heart. All this together shows a life that wants to be impacted by Jesus. So here she was at the feet of Jesus, broken. She was chasing a relationship with someone like she'd never chased before. She wanted to repent of her sins and put her faith in this man sitting at the table, Jesus Christ. And thanks be to God, what was his response? It wasn't like Simon and the others at the table. If this woman was washing their feet, if she was um, begging them for their forgiveness, she would have definitely been impacted by the relationship they offered for sure, but not in a positive way. She would have been impacted by being torn apart, ridiculed and judged. She would have been made to feel that this is the place in life she deserved because of the life she lived. Well, thankfully, this woman's tears wasn't wasted on the feet of Jesus. She was pleading and crying to Jesus. Jesus did not reject the woman, nor did he reject the tears or the gift of her ointment. In fact, he spoke positively about them. Unlike others at the table, Jesus never said, you know what, they're right. How dare you come before me? Jesus saw her works as evidence of her faith. When she was at the feet of Jesus, he did impact her life, not by judging her, not by making her feel worse. Jesus looks at her and says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I can only imagine how she left that room. I'm sure she left better than the way she entered it. I'm sure that as she walked out of that room with judging eyes still upon her and daggers in her back, she would have known 100% that before Jesus, she was impacted and she was forgiven. How did she know she was truly forgiven? She had the assurance of Jesus' word. Jesus made it clear to her that her faith alone had saved her. She met with Jesus, she was impacted and she was forgiven. Let's look at another one. Who touched my clothes? Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? an issue of blood for 12 years and I knew if I could just touch my clothes that I would be whole daughter thy faith hath made thee whole Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. <laughs> Another one of the unplanned things of Jesus' life. Jesus was on his way to help his friend. 
And Jesus is followed by a huge mob of people, even to the point where Luke sees, says the crowds were crushing him. Then the woman enters the story. A woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had obviously tried to get help because we're told that no one else could help her. So here she is in a desperate time in her life and she comes to Jesus. But not as most people would come to Jesus. She didn't speak to him. He didn't speak to her. She came from behind. Why did she do that? If she knew Jesus could help, why did she come via the back door and not just go up and ask him? Well, again, she was a woman. More than that, she was a bleeding woman. She couldn't be sure what Jesus' reaction would be. So she was the one who reached out and touched his cloak. And once she'd done that, she was healed. Ah, oh, she would have been so happy, right? Probably the most excited and amazed she's been in 12 years. Her breeding problem had finally stopped. Now we come to what I think is one of those funny passages in the scripture where Jesus says, who touched me? Peter says, what do you mean who touched you? There are people all around pressing you. But Jesus knew something had happened. But our healed woman didn't say a word. The joy she had would have disappeared quite quickly. Imagine the guilt, the shame she must have felt. Imagine if that was you. If you touched Jesus and you knew something had happened and then he stopped and he said, who touched me? Would you own up? I don't think I would. But she realised she couldn't go unnoticed. What a difference 10 seconds can make in a person's life. In a matter of 10 seconds, we see a change in this woman. And what a change. One second she's healed, the happier she's been in 12 years, and 10 seconds later she's broken again. So much so we're told that when she owned up, she came trembling and fell at his feet. But what happens next is the true part of the healing. Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Jesus' answer to her wasn't just healing of the body. His answer to her was healing of her spirit. Because of the relationship this woman had with Jesus, Jesus impacted her and healed her within. Like the sinful woman at Jesus' feet, this woman also came to Jesus at the end of her road. And like the sinful woman at Jesus' feet, he impacted her so much as well. She was no longer at the end of her road. She was starting a new life over at the beginning of a new highway. She was impacted and healed within. She came with fear and she left with courage. What a difference that would have made. The impact of her relationship with Jesus was deep. Now for the third and final example. A Samaritan woman came to draw some water. Give me a drink of water. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. So how can you ask me for a drink? Jews will not use the same cups and bowls that Samaritans use. If you only knew what God gives, and who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would ask him. And he would give you a life-giving water. Sir, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Where would you get that life-giving water? It was our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well. He and his children and his flocks all drank from it. 
You don't claim to be greater than Jacob, do you? Those who drink this water will get thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring, which will provide them with life-giving water and give them eternal life. Sir, give me that water. Then I will never be thirsty again. Nor will I have to come here to draw water. Go and call your husband and come back. I don't have a husband. You are right when you say you don't have a husband. You've been married to five men, and the man you live with now is not really your husband. You have told me the truth. I see you are a prophet, sir. My Samaritan ancestors worshipped God on this mountain. But you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where we should worship God. Believe me, woman. The time will come when people will not worship the Father either on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans do not really know whom you worship. But we Jews know whom we worship because it is from the Jews that salvation comes. But the time is coming. And is already here. When by the power of God's Spirit, people will worship the Father as he really is. Offering him the true worship that he wants. God is Spirit. And only by the power of his Spirit can people worship him as he really is. I know that the Messiah will come. And when he comes, he will tell us everything. I am he. I who am talking with you. At that moment, Jesus' disciples returned, and they were greatly surprised to find him talking with a woman. But none of them said to her, what do you want? Or asked him, why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the town. Come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. The Messiah. So they left the town and went to Jesus. You find this story in John chapter 4. In this chapter, we're told Jesus left Judea and started north for Galilee. He could have taken three possible routes along the coast, across the Jordan, or straight through Samaria. However, Jews avoided Samaria because there was a long-standing hatred between them and the Samaritans. Yet verse 4 tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus had to go through Samaria. No one is really sure why he had to go, but most people believe it was because of this very encounter. Jesus goes on his way and comes to Jacob's well. He's tired from the journey and he sits down. Then the Samaritan woman comes to draw water and Jesus says to her, will you give me a drink? You notice her response, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Because it wasn't right for him to be speaking to her. I can only imagine her shock um, as, he, as he did that. But how thankful, as we know, on many occasions our Lord sets social justices and traditions aside. Jesus answered, If you knew who asked for a drink, you would ask him to give you living water as well. Because everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again, but everyone who drinks living water will never thirst again. Have you ever asked and stopped, have you ever stopped and asked yourself, what is the Christian life all about? Why are we even part of the Christian faith? Well, 
for me, it is all tied up with this. It is all tied up with what Jesus is saying here. You know, people think we're Christians because of what we don't do. Some people see that we don't drink and we don't smoke, and yet others believe that we walked into a church and we got brainwashed. So many people fall for the trap to think that you're only a Christian so that when you die, you go to heaven. Well, none of these are true. For me, Jesus' answers here is what Christian life and the Christian's faith is all about. It is so much deeper than when you die, you go to heaven. What does Jesus offer this woman and us? Living water, an eternal spring. I'm not sure whether she got what he meant. I'm quite sure I wouldn't have. I would have said, what do you mean a drink and you can never get thirsty again? That's impossible. This woman, however, was definitely smarter than me. She had and understood something because she didn't say that to Jesus. She said, sir, give me this water. The conversation continues and, and they talk a bit about worship and stuff. But this is where her relationship with Jesus makes a great impact. And he says to her, go and get your husband. When I had teenagers, daughters and kids at school always used to say, awkward. We now have an ad that someone says, did someone say KFC? Well, this is right. Jesus says, go and get your husband. What an awkward situation because she knew. She didn't have a husband and he says, you're right. You have five. Whoa. But in this conversation, it is anything but awkward. This conversation is Jesus doing what he does best, seeing into a person's life like no one else can. Here, Jesus has pointed out the sin in her life. I love this woman's reaction to what Jesus said. She shows no shame. She shows no guilt. In fact, she still craves his every word. She could have walked away and said to him, hey, listen, buster, my love life is my own personal life. It's none of your business. But she doesn't. She says, what you have just said is quite true. You must be a prophet. Seeing she sees Jesus as a prophet, she continues on. And the woman says, I know the Messiah when he comes and he will explain everything to us. I said there was a big change in the bleeding woman because she changed from one to the other. Well, it's the same with this woman. In a matter of 10 seconds, we see a change. What change in a matter of 10 seconds, this woman went from seeing Jesus as a prophet to seeing Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ and the Lord. What does she then do? She goes and tells others. Why would she go and run off and tell everyone? She's just experienced a relationship with Jesus that impacted her life. She's just experienced a relationship with Jesus that impacted and changed her on the inside. Now she wanted to share that relationship. She wanted the impact of her relationship to impact others. So she runs and tells her friends, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now for me, these words tell me exactly what kind of impact and change Jesus made on this woman's life. What do I mean? Well, think about this. Would you want to invite your friends to come and listen to someone who can tell them everything that you have done in your life? I think not. I don't know about you, but if I met someone who could tell me everything about my grubby lifestyle, the last person I'd want them to meet is my friends. I would be wanting to get rid of that person rather than bring him to everyone so that they could come close and hear. I know for my life, my girls would be right, that would definitely be awkward, Dad. 
Well, because of the impact Jesus made on this woman, the scenario didn't seem to bother her at all. She basically went out and told everyone, come and listen to a man who can tell you of all my sins. And let's be honest, in this woman's case, there was quite a history. So I'm sure when this woman came and said, come and see a man who told me everything I did, a lot of them would have come from wrong intentions. They would have known a bit of a history. They would have been a bit of a gossiper and they would have thought, yeah, let's go and listen to this. But this woman was impacted and changed within so much she didn't care. She wanted others to be impacted the same way she was impacted. She wanted others to experience the impact of a relationship she just had with Jesus like, and she wanted them to experience the same thing. So much so she made herself vulnerable. It seems she was happy for people to come and listen to her life story laid out on a plate so they too could be impacted by Jesus. Three simple stories, three simple women, but each of them were impacted. The woman at Jesus' feet was impacted and forgiven within. The bleeding woman was impacted and healed within. The woman at the well was impacted and changed within. And I want to finish with this. I had more, but time's got past me. Do you know what? That's our mission. Do you know we all sit here and you've all experienced this. You can identify with every one of these women. Why? Because at times you have been there at Jesus' feet, broken, sinful. You have gone and reached out at your desperate times just wanting to touch him. And you have been there when you know he's Messiah. That is the greatest impact we have on our lives. That's what mission is all about. Whether it happens here, whether it happens globally, whatever God places on your life, that is what missions is all about. You have all been, we've sung about being forgiven. We've sung about the blood washing over us. We've celebrated us. We have the gift of salvation. We have the gift of love and grace. We've been impacted it. Then my question is, why doesn't the church live that out? I don't know if you've ever read Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace. It's a really challenging book to read. If you ask me, am I a graceful person? I would say, yeah, I am. I've received the Holy Spirit. God's forgiven me. And I try to welcome most people. However, I remember a time when I got a spear in my side. I was working for the police department in Adelaide for Mission SA and I was working with the court system. There was a girl that was sexually abused by her father. I was asked, and I worked with a girl and it was great, and I was asked to work with a dad. I said, no. They said, you have to. Talk of good counselling skills. He came, he sat in my office, and normally when I counsel people, I don't have anything in front of me. I set up my office with a chair, a desk, and then my chair. He sat there, he was crying. I had my arms crossed, I had a pen in my hand, and I was doodling on a piece of paper. And I was going, yep, yep, no worries, yep. And then it hit me as loud as it could be. You hypocrite. Garth, for all I have forgiven you for, for everything I have done for you, you can't look this man who is a broken father in the eye. We have been impacted by Jesus. The message we have is one of love, grace, salvation. That, I believe, is what we take out there.
We are citizens. We've been made a whole in you. If you read Packy Life, and I was going to get into 2 Corinthians 5, because we are now citizens. We follow a different person. We have a whole new identity. We have a whole new meaning and a whole new purpose in life. And that life is to impact others with the relationship that we have with Christ. Remember the times you've got to the end. Remember the times you've got to the you've got there to reach out and touch the cloak. Remember the times when you were so sinful that your tears were on his feet. What did you get from him? Go out and give that to everyone you come across. May God bless you.